Welcome to another episode of Tell Me This. I am your co-host, Carrie Warkowski, here with my co-host, Brianne. One of these days, Brianne, I'm just going to like throw it to you and get you to introduce yourself. So, okay, <laughs> I'll be ready. Welcome. And we are so happy and I am so excited to have Lisa Bushi. Bushi? Did I say that right? Yes. Bushi. 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 I get it right. Um, yeah. And Lisa, I'm just going to let the audience know that Part of my excitement is I feel like we've had a recent reconnection. Um, we, we have. Yeah, we, have. We, we went through the Hopkins doctoral program together and uh, I feel like we spent so much time together studying for comps, comparing notes. And at the time, even though it was an online program, we happened to live basically in the same town. Um, so it was so great. We would meet at the Starbucks and compare notes and do homework together. So yes, <laughs> so welcome. Fun times. Yes, absolutely. So just, <laughs> thank you. Yes. So just to introduce, um, Lisa, she recently joined the team as a director of quality, early childhood policy and systems. And after completing her ed D at Hopkins with a specialization in entrepreneurial leadership and education, she most recently held a faculty position in the Department of Early Childhood Education at Towson University, which is in Maryland, where her primary focus was birth to third grade educator preparation. Lisa is also involved in two MSDE, so that's the Maryland State Department of Education, um, accredited and Maryland Excels Check Level 5 Early Care and Education Programs in Anne Arundel County, which is also in Maryland, serving 120 children. Outside of work, Lisa enjoys travel, reading, and home and garden design. Lisa hopes to apply her experience in early childhood education programs, leadership and advocacy skills, and passion for equitable access to quality care and education to promote integrated and aligned early childhood education and care systems to support positive outcomes for all children and families. So uh, again, Lisa, I'm so happy to have you here. I will give a shameless plug because our oldest son, Colby, got to attend one of Lisa's early childhood education programs and he just had a blast. So <laughs> thank you, Carrie. That was such a nice introduction and reminds me of that wonderful time that we spent together and the time that I spent with Colby, which was really awesome. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I remember Lisa, something I always share with people and I have appreciated as a, as a parent is you, I had said to you one, one day, um, you know, sometimes Colby is going to share things and I'm worried about what he's going to share, you know, because you never know what kids will say. And you said to me, well, if you only believe 50% of what he tells you about school, we'll do the same for you. So. <laughs> yep. And we tell that to parents all the time, Yeah, especially so, with preschoolers, because absolutely very imaginative. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, great. Well, again, welcome. And Brianne, I'm going to toss it to you. Yeah, well, I will share that the principal of the school where my daughters went to school when they were in kindergarten said the same thing, same line. Cause we were all like, Ooh, what are they sharing about home? And she's like, nothing <laughs> worse than they're sharing about here. I promise. So let's just have this 50, 50 agreement. So 
That's awesome. Um, Lisa, it's so nice to meet you. I haven't met you yet. So this is a great opportunity for me to learn from you and, and chat with you. Before we start with our guests with our questions, we always like to just check in and kind of ask, how are you? And how's your family? How are things going for you? Thank you for asking. That's that's really kind. Uh, they're going well. I'm, I'm in the midst of a house renovation. Um, I have a brand new job. I started about six weeks ago. And my mother recently was moved to an assisted living from, you know, after living with me. So it's a time of transition for sure. Um, but yeah, I'm taking it with a smile. You always, <laughs> I feel like you always take things with a smile, which I really, I try. Appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. You have some serious transition going on right now. Some big, uh, big milestones. So yeah, it's great. Um, so I would love, you know, given your life experience, your professional experience, and I will say Brianne and I are really so interested in your early childhood experience, like in terms mm -hmm. of education, because we haven't, I mean, we've had a couple of people on it with your background, Lisa, but perhaps not as embedded as you are in the early mm -hmm. childhood space. So I would just love to hear a little bit about, you know, from that frame, your understanding of belonging. So when you asked, there were some questions that you asked me to, to look at ahead of time. And yeah. the first thing that popped in my mind after I read them was the children's, the classic children's book, The Little Engine That Could. I don't mm -hmm. know if you remember it, but um, there's a small train engine that struggles to climb a big mountain and the other bigger trains are like zooming and steaming right up this, this mountain and this little engine just is so kind of sad and forlorn because it can't, you know, it can't climb this mountain. And eventually, you know, throughout the, the course of the story, we come to this moral that is try, try again. So eventually the little engine is able to climb the mountain, but it requires repeated effort. It requires repeated attempts. And so I guess that's really in a nutshell what I think about not only from early childhood, but even in my adult perspective is that belonging requires repeated attempts. Um, it requires repeated effort and sort of, um, you know, sort of resilience, right? To keep going in the face of maybe an interaction didn't feel all that great. Maybe you stumbled, maybe you made a mistake, maybe you hurt someone's feelings, but you know, what are you going to do about that? And, and just kind of, kind of keep you on going. So going back to thinking about early childhood, for some kids, it seems to come more easily, right? Fitting in with the group, playing on the playground, sharing toys, taking turns. Maybe it's their prior knowledge from home. Maybe it's something about their personal characteristics, whether physical or emotional, um, that that makes it easier for them. But there are some kids who really struggle. And so what I see is that it's the adult's responsibility. And so in this case, I'm thinking of a preschool teacher. That's what I did for many years. It's our responsibility to support, to scaffold. So that's an education word. And it... Um, Maybe I should contextualize it a little bit. It's just like the scaffolding on the outside of a building. It's a support structure when, for, for getting from a place where um, you can't do something without support to where you have this little support to bridge to where you can do something by yourself. So, mm -hmm. so I feel like it's the adult's responsibility. It, it is best practice to provide social skills support. So practice with how 
do we say to kids, may I play? how to join a play group. Sometimes that's really hard for kids and they'll just stand sort of on the outside, um, not knowing how to join play. Mm -hmm. So we teach that, we practice it, um, we demonstrate it, we try and try again. Um, we practice taking turns and we practice sharing and we practice negotiating conflicts. So it's, it's very hands-on, it becomes part of the curriculum in a high-quality early childhood program. And frankly, people need support. I mean, even beyond those early childhood years, yeah. I'm not sure <laughs> it's quite so targeted, um, you know, in elementary school and beyond. But think about the adolescent years and how tough some of those peer relationships can be and what kind of support is actually available. Uh, um, yeah. It can oh, be really great. challenging. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate the the defining scaffolding. I think um, we were talking to somebody, uh, another guest earlier and, and talking about how important language is. So I love that you you offered that as a bridge because um, sometimes I think we forget that not everybody speaks the same language, especially as educators. So I I really love the pulling in the the book, um, you know, the, the little engine that could, that the, it's a nice visual to think about the try, try again. So Mm -hmm. What I'm wondering, Lisa, is when you think about that try, try again, or when you said like, as they, as the kids get older, it's not a targeted practice. How, how do you define belonging? Like, what is that thing belonging to you and your, and your students that you teach? So I, I, I suspect that it's, um, it's really, it's individual, but there are probably some universal themes, right? So okay. for me personally, it feels like someone knows me, someone cares about me. Um, I'm free to be myself. I'm free to be authentic. I'm free to share my thoughts and feelings freely. Um, being seen, you know, that's kind of a, I guess that's kind of a buzzword, but rec maybe recognized is, is another word, um, you know, to say that for Recognize for who I am, and that means my strengths and my weaknesses. Because let's face it, we all we all have them. But being accepted nonetheless. Yeah. So, um, mm. yeah, all of that I think come comes together for yeah. me. Yeah. Can you say just just a tiny bit more? Because you you made the distinction between individual and universal. And I'm hearing the I think what I think were the universal pieces. Can you just say a little bit more about that individual point that you made? So I'm gonna guess that the markers for each person are gonna be individualized. Mm. That was what I meant. So okay. so I think we can describe belonging as a construct, mm -hmm. and yet to each individual, it might look and feel slightly different. Okay. Um, and, and through the lifespan as well. Great. Thank you. I was thinking about, you use the word free in your definition of belonging, like freedom to share your thoughts and feelings. And that's something that's come up with some other guests too. So I, I'd like mm -hmm. to sort of hold on to that a little bit. Sure. When you think about that freedom and the importance of belonging, how critical do you think it is? two relationships? Uh, very. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you some personal perspective and Carrie, Carrie knows this. Um, I've had 
some very difficult personal relationships that did not end well. Um, and when I was actually really reflecting for this podcast, I started to think about when was it that I felt like I didn't belong in those relationships and then what happened? And I really think it was the beginning of the death of, of those relationships. So to me, uh, it's every, it's everything. Mm. So I think about the beginning of the death, what's the inverse of that, right? So how could we flip that? So in a, in your strongest relationships, do you see the opposite? Yes. Yes. I feel like they are ongoing, um, evolving, growing relationships of care where that care is demonstrated, um, where levels of understanding continue to grow and deepen. Um, I think about in particular, this is what's popping in my head at the moment, and I didn't even have this in my notes, but my relationship with my mother, for example. Um, and Carrie, you're, you shared a lit review with me, and I ordered this little book, Belonging, by Kellyanne Allen um, after that. And it really, it's a great book. It traces belonging through the lifespan. So, and it really starts with infancy, that very first moment, for example, when a newborn is placed on their mother's belly or chest. Um, and I was thinking, who is it that's been with me mm. from the very beginning, from that first breath really is, is my mom. And so in 2018, um, she uh, sold her home in Florida and moved into Annapolis in my house in Annapolis with me. So it became our home. So we, <clears throat> we hadn't spent a lot of time together in those intervening years because I lived in Maryland. She lived in Florida with my dad. We saw each other maybe twice a year. And what happened when we moved in together is our relationship started to grow again. It started to deepen. It started to expand. It felt, I don't know, it was revitalized. Mm -hmm. um, we've, we've come to know each other in, in lots of new ways. And not that it's always easy either. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's not just ease, right? Belonging isn't easy. I don't think it's easy at all. Um, so wait, I think, Brianne, I think I lost my thread. What were you asking me about? Sorry. Well, we were talking about kind of positive relationships and the relationships in which you felt so such deep belonging. And you went back to that sort of primal relationship of the one with your mother. And I think we were also kind of getting to the relationship between belonging and the ability to cultivate such important connections. Yeah. And I don't think you, I don't think you lost the thread. I was actually going to say, I, yeah, it was, yeah. I, I appreciate Lisa that you've highlighted a couple of things. What I was hearing just to reflect back is this idea of evolving with care and levels of understanding. It It's so nice to hear you articulate it that way. Cause I think too often we think binary, right? It's either there or not. It's, and if, right. and Brian and I, um, Gosh, I don't remember when it was now, Brian, but maybe it was last spring. We did a podcast on friendship and how we say, well, if it's hard, it must be wrong. Right. Like we we associate effort with we're doing something wrong or this thing isn't right. And I think we can blame some of the rom uh, romantic comedies on that as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I love yes. that you are highlighting that belonging isn't always going to feel 
good. It's hard. Right. And that doesn't mean you're in a bad space. And I think relationships, as you've described it so eloquently, it's a process, right? It requires an openness and a level. So I think you were right. You were right in the middle of that question. Okay. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I was hoping to sort of build on that and actually to circle back to the point you made. And it's so interesting. You said the word markers. I'm really interested to explore that a little bit more, right? So um, you mentioned this idea of belonging as a construct, and and that's just a a big, a sort of researchy word for a concept, right? An idea. So, So if we think about belonging as this idea, and we know that it's to some extent individualized, what are you using as your markers, Lisa, or what do they, what do these things look like in your relationships, in your students' relationships? Can you just give us a couple examples? So I think one of the big ones is acts of care. Hmm. And that to me could apply across the lifespan. So all the way from in preschool, when someone is crying, Another child, even toddlers, will go over and pat that child's back or get a stuffed animal and bring that to them. Children who can't speak demonstrate their their care for um, another child or for their teacher. If if their teacher falls or is hurt or, you know, says ow or something. So so to me, acts of care and that for me also now I'll shift to my personal life. I feel that I belong in a relationship when someone knows me well enough to show me that they care for me in the ways Mm -hmm. that are meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. So, and I try to do the same right for others. And I guess that's that reciprocity that we, we really teach, you know, I was, that I talked about at the very beginning. Um, So showing that you care for someone. And one of the the other ways is listening, right? Mm -hmm. Listening for understanding listening and reflecting back, understanding, listening, and then showing that you understand with your future actions. So um, those are some of the markers, I think, for me. Yeah. I it's So I know this is an audio podcast, but I just have to say, say for the audience, when you were describing the, even the toddler walking over to someone and Pat, all three of us had this like, I could almost feel it because, you know, having young kids myself, I even remember like I might have been having a bad day and my three or four year old was so attuned. Right. And aware they would, you know, they call me Mimi. They're like, Mimi, are you okay today? You know, it's just you're right, Lisa. Like, I love that acts of care. That makes so much sense to me in the way you've articulated that. So, um, yeah, that's. And I could just see a little kid giving somebody else a, a little stuffed animal, right? Like you're not yep. feeling well. It's just, yeah. it's really sweet. Oh, I think pausing. we're truly wired. For, I mean, I think we're truly wired for belonging. We are. I mean, and I guess we have research that, yeah. that uh, demonstrates that. Um, yeah, I agree. I think on the, and you've touched on this a little bit, but I would love, you know, I think as educators and parents and and three people who care deeply about this kind of work. I think it's also important to highlight the markers that sort of should tell us when belonging is absent. And I'm wondering if you could unpack a little bit, you know, either personally or professionally where you've seen it missing and how you knew it was missing. 
Right. So I think exclusion is one of the biggest markers. So that could be, um, you know, physical exclusion. That could be mm. <clears throat> emotional exclusion. So again, going back to that preschool model, I'm not sure if any of you have ever um, had your children or heard them say, well, you're not my friend. Mm. You're not coming to my birthday party. So for preschoolers, those are some of the ways that um, to to demonstrate exclusion. So it, it puts it others someone, right? It puts them on the outside of the inner circle of the people that are going to the birthday party. And sometimes this doesn't even have any basis in reality, but it's just what the kids say to demonstrate. I mean, they, it might not even be their birthday, yeah. but um, <laughs> so, yeah. so right. And, and not allowing someone to play, not allowing someone to participate or um, join in with play is another way, another form of exclusion that we might see with young children. We might see it on the playground. We might see it in, in, uh, a center, mm. you know, not letting someone sit beside, uh, one child may not let someone sit beside them, um, may not be willing to share a toy with, with, um, a certain child. So, Again, I, you know, I instantly go to that. Well, what's the adult responsibility there? Well, mm. you know what? We, we teach inclusion. We teach yes. inclusion and that's connects to belonging. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that that doesn't, I'm just thinking some of that doesn't even change as an adult, right? Like acts of care and exclusion, so right. it's just like, You're it just so carries right. through. You're um, so right. Yeah interesting but that birthday party example I mean that's (laughs) as soon as you started to say preschool and exclusion my mind went to you're not coming to my birthday party and then you said it it's like I feel like it's like the universal line um I feel like you've done such a nice job painting the picture of belonging with others whether it's your mom or in the preschool setting or kind of even as we evolve in our belonging and our relationships what do you think about belonging to ourselves so what's your perspective on that that is such a good question. And I had to give that a little bit of, of thought um, because, so I'm going to tell a little bit of a, I'm going to go back in time yeah. a little bit to my younger self. So for a long time, I tried to, to seek through sometimes positive and sometimes negative means that sense of belonging from others. Mm. and after a lot of banging my head against the wall and being really disappointed, I had to wake up to at least my personal truth and reality. That is what I was looking for from others. Wasn't really available. Like somebody else is not going to, wasn't able to make me feel that I belonged in the way that I was seeking. So I shifted over to this kind of spiritual work path that has taken years and years and years. Sometimes I've been really involved in, in that pursuit and other times less so, but I've come to believe and I've come to recognize that for me, I belong to the universe. I belong in the universe. That's my primary place of belonging. And so I guess when you said self, That's where I went to Mm -hmm. that universal um, sense of belonging that's way bigger than me as an individual, but that 
is what I was looking for. Oh, I love that. And I love how you teed it up with what I needed from others was unavailable. Like you just couldn't get it and you're trying so hard and you're disappointed and there's the little engine that could situation, right? And then you realize you're sort of, you know, barking up the wrong tree, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And then found it. And Carrie, this reminds me of what Jill had said. So we had a conversation with a theologian a couple episodes ago, and she was talking about kind of just this innate being, like just by being we belong. And I'm not sure that she used the word universe, but it seemed like a similar message of just, just sort of this innate goodness and belonging just by virtue of being here. Yeah. Absolutely. Universe with a capital U. Yeah. Right. Totally. I'm wondering yeah. if uh, I I just want to like, and if it's too personal, Lisa, you can say, you know, you can pass on it. You used the word seeking. I was what it wasn't, you know, to, to Brianne's point about you weren't able to find it in other people and what you were seeking. And I'm wondering, are you able to like either put your finger on or put your heart on, whatever the right sort of places, what that seeking is or was or feel I just can you put some words to that so so seeking connection seeking to belong mm. seeking to be um recognized mm. uh, and but I think connection is probably the best word mm. for it I want I look I looked for from other people in my case typically from men to to feel connected in a way that I don't think a human I think later I came to realize that I wasn't looking for human level connection I was looking for spiritual universal god level connection mm. and that that sense of belonging to the universe with a capital U is what made me feel more whole mm. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. For is that. there a is there a freedom in that? Because I'm kind of thinking back to your your definition earlier and the words yes. that you used. There is. There is because there's not a dependence, not an inherent dependence upon pleasing someone else. Not that I not that my personal relationships aren't incredibly important. And I see that as an outgrowth, right, of, of spirit. But that's no longer my primary source, right? My primary source is God. My primary source is the universe. I have to say, like, can I just pause and be gushy a little bit right now? Because <laughs> I just want to say that these conversations are exactly why I love this work. And I want to say that it was, it's been several years now, but when I started listening to Brene Brown, I promise this is related and belonging. And she used the Maya Angelou quote around belonging everywhere and nowhere and belonging to yourself. There's more to it. But I'm paraphrasing. When I first heard that quote, I was like, for a minute, I was like, Ooh, yeah. And then for the next minute and the next year, I was like, I don't understand this quote. Like I was struggling and I feel like every time I speak to people like you, Lisa and Brianne, it's like, I understand it more. Like you're the way you're talking right now. It's like, this makes so much, her quote makes so much sense. And I just appreciate that. Like, I don't know. I'm just appreciating this moment that you've really you. 
offered some additional clarity around some really important things. So um, I love that quote. Uh, thank you for bringing that up and reminding me of it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that when you said um, freedom, yes, not dependent on someone else, that's, that's it, right? That's at the heart of it is belonging everywhere and nowhere to self. So mm, thank you for that, Lisa. So sorry, Brandon, I didn't mean to take us off track. No, that was great. So Lisa, once you've sort of had that experience and been, you've been broadened, right? Because you understand the sort of bigger sense of belonging and, and the paramount importance of belonging to yourself. And you're still a person in relationships, right? So you have this sort of like big yeah. meta, big thinking ideas, and you go to work and you have relationships and you do, you know, kind of day-to-day things. So what strategies and approaches, you mentioned acts of care earlier, what are some things that you do to cultivate belonging in your relationships? So I actually made a little list because I thought, well, I'm going to hold myself accountable. Am I really doing this? (laughs) (laughs) So I think making an effort to understand um, my partners or my loved ones or my friends inner life, like having a sense of, well, how does this person approach the world? What does it look like through their eyes? Um, allows me to have a connection, a really deeper connection with them. And, and again, uh, in long relationships, that's evolving because right. Our perspectives are always changing. Um, I think really making an effort to understand people is, is the way that I would demonstrate my, my care for them, which is then, as we described earlier, connected to us belonging to each other or belonging with each other. Um, And then the next part of that is I also take a risk, Mm. right? I take a risk and share my own inner life. And again, that evolves, right? So it's, it's sharing a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And it sometimes can feel really vulnerable, right? So a lot of times, I think the depth of belonging is different, right? We have we have various levels of belonging with various people and groups. Um, in per, in professional relationships, I also made a list about that because I thought, well, that's really you know that's different. We have a different kind of approach to belonging. So I'll make an effort to join in with projects or teams, or if if someone demonstrates that they need help. Again, because to me, it's about caring. So showing that I care in a professional context means that I'm going to pitch in. My energy is going to be available for whatever the goal is that the group has identified. So and then as we find ourselves working toward a common goal and caring, this, you know, goes back to what we were saying about our original connection. As we're working together toward a common goal, all of a sudden well, wait, we belong. We have this feeling of we're belonging because we're on this journey together. We're, we're going toward this, the same destination together. So that shared goal or that commonality then unites us. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But the way it starts for me is to offer, right? It's to offer myself, my energy, my time, my support, my care. It seems so active. So you started every one of your strategies with effort. 
I will make an effort to this. I will make an effort to literally everyone. Yeah, we're back to the little engine that could. Yeah, right. Yeah, which is a really nice circle back. I don't think it's passive. I don't think belonging is passive. And maybe that's the teacher in me is, you know, is, you know, standing back and waiting for something to just magically appear doesn't usually work, at least in my experience. Yeah. The intentionality of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can't help it, Lisa. I have to ask um, for a couple of reasons. One, it's in your bio about, and you really do emphasize positive outcomes for all children and all families. And I know in our family's experience as a same-sex couple, um, I just want to like scratch the surface of like strategies as it relates to equity and you know, you, you made a point to say that belonging is individual. And so can you just share mm-hmm. just a few insights? Cause I know you've worked with a diversity of family and kids and sort of right. like, can you speak to that just a little bit? So I could, I could put my, you know, preschool teacher or preschool director hat on for the moment. I yeah. think so really, um, shouldering that responsibility, right? Accepting that responsibility um, that we need to make an effort to include everyone, right? All the kids need to be included on the playground. Um, Actually, this is something really fun. So this summer um, I had built at at the preschool where Colby attended a bench on the playground, an outdoor bench, and it's made out of rainbow colored pieces of wood. So each piece of wood in this park bench, imagine a park bench on a metal frame with pieces of wood um, going horizontally. Each one is a different color and it's the friendship bench. And we have a plaque on it that says, find a friend, be a friend. So we've designated this on the playground as a spot for anyone who needs a friend, who's looking for a playmate, who wants to join a game to go to this bench. And so we, there's also a book that we've read that goes with this whole idea. So we created this really visible way to, for, for a child who maybe doesn't have as many verbal skills or isn't as gregarious or isn't as outgoing to demonstrate that they are looking for a friend. They're looking for for an entry point, right? Into the play. And all they have to do is go to this bench and the teachers know it and the kids know it. And we have, you know, our very outgoing gregarious kids who will run by and snatch up someone. And next thing you know, the bench is empty. So it's just a really cool thing. And I can't remember now. Why was I telling you that? Oh, because no, about inclusion. About, yeah, equity. So, yeah, inclusion. Equity. so yeah. creating really specific ways so that people can feel included. I think, and I think the onus is on the people in charge. It's also on the privileged. Hmm. Do you, you said it was associated with a book. Do you remember the name of the book? Oh, I'll find it and send it to you. Perfect. Perfect. Cause if, I mean, I, first of all, I just absolutely love that story. And it reminds me that you can always count on a, an amazing early childhood educator to have that kind of an example. And then my second thought was how do we translate the rainbow bench to the adult? 
world? Like, what is a yeah, rainbow? I'm thinking, bench? how can I put that on the college? That's campus? what I was thinking. Like, what is <laughs> yeah. that? What does that look like in a Zoom session? What does that look like in a college classroom? I just, I had so many thoughts. So I want to. I, I'd love the the name of the book if you have a. I will get it for you. I will get it for you. Let me so, write myself a note. Awesome, awesome. So you know, Lisa, because you've done some research in your your career. Um, one thing researchers love to do at the end of a, an amazing interview is always hold space for the person who participated to offer up anything you would like to share that we didn't ask you about or that you don't feel like was covered. So now is that time. <laughs> I, well, what I'd really like to do is share my gratitude. Aww. This has been a fantastic experience. And I'm really happy that I had the opportunity to carve out some space and time to think about these really important questions. Mm. I was reminded of some um, parts of the human experience that are really, really important to me. And it was great to be able to share them. It feels good to share. It feels good to connect with you and potentially with your audience, people that I can't see. Yeah. Um, but we can belong, right? We can belong in this space. Absolutely. And there are real, tangible, intentional ways to do that, right? It doesn't have to be this amorphous idea that we don't always understand. So yeah, I too, as I said earlier, and just I I am I am gushing with gratitude and that that I'm okay about that. And I said to Brianne, Lisa, before we got on, I just feel so lucky to have this space and time to speak to you and others um, and just have these conversations. It's just it's heartening and, and, and selfishly, it's just great to reconnect with you, Lisa. I'm so happy. <laughs> I feel the same. Like, I feel the same. I'm so happy to have you back in my orbit. It feels so it just, it's a gift. So, um, so thank you so much for being here, Brianne. Thank you for your contributions as always. It's been, it's been so much fun. So appreciate yeah, you, you both. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks everybody. All right, everybody. This has been another episode of Tell Me This. I am your co-host, Carrie Borchowski, here with Dr. Brianne Ruse and Dr. Lisa Boucher. I got it. No, Boucher. 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 I'll get it one of these days. I'm sorry. (laughs) All right, everybody. Take care and be well. Searching